So my uh, favorite Christmas song, if you will, I don't know if you call it a carol, a song, a hymn, whatever, is uh, What Child Is This? And I love that one because um, of all the questions. I love the questioning that comes into that song because that's the kind of thing Jesus did as he asked his disciples, you know, who do you say that I am? And people were questioning in their hearts. Mary was questioning in her heart. The shepherds were questioning. Jesus does these miracles. The disciples are questioning who this man is. So that's my favorite. My least favorite, and the reason you haven't heard it here yet, is um, Away in a Manger. And the reason, I know it's a beautiful song, don't get me wrong, but the reason I don't don't like it is because for the exact reason that, um, you know, uh, Teddy was demonstrating earlier, which is kids are noisy and they're supposed to be noisy. That's how God made them, you know, which is part of, we we build that into our community here to say, you know, the the sound of kids is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, And Jesus was a fully human being. So the idea that he never cried is somehow gets connected with he never sinned because no sinless baby would cry, right? Wrong. I mean, he was fully human. He can't talk if he doesn't cry. I mean, what, you know, we hear kids, you know, vocalizing in worship. What they're doing is they're preparing their voice for the day they're going to be singing with us and praising God in worship. And if they don't do that, they can't do that. So um, I just wanted to point that out because I just love... Um, during our services when, especially during prayers and songs, that I hear kids. Yes, thank you. Right on cue, buddy. You're good. That's perfect. Um, we are doing this series on the Messiah. The titles from Messiah from Isaiah 9. And today we are going to be re- reading Isaiah 9 passage and then we're going to be reading in Mark later. So today we're going to be looking at Prince of Peace. And I just, by way of re-entering into this conversation without going in-depth as I have done in the past, the title Messiah is the same title that gets translated as Christ in the Greek, or Christos in the Greek, and we say Christ. It um, was a, something that during the time of Jesus and before Jesus, the people of God, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they were looking back and seeing all these passages that were pointing beyond just what was happening at the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah and other prophets saying, this is God's message saying there's someone else who's going to be coming and um, Messiah is the title that gets brought in there, which just means anointed one. So uh, this title, of course, we apply to Jesus, but it took some time for people to figure out that Jesus might be the Messiah. And of course there are some who still don't accept that Jesus is the Messiah. But these titles in Isaiah 9 come from a section of scripture that people began to see were about Jesus. Were about the Messiah, yes. And then they realized they were about Jesus. So we're looking at the, these four titles. Today we're going to be looking at Prince of Peace. So let's read together Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as people exulting, exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. 
Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we enter back into this text and the others we'll be looking at today, we are so grateful that your spirit spoke to your people, giving them this promise of the coming of Jesus. And as we spend time in Advent, anticipating his return someday, we ask that you would help us to be aware of the things your spirit is saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Prince of Peace. Whenever I hear that title for Jesus, for the Messiah, I can also hear in my mind the many voices I've heard through my life who would say something like this. How can you call Jesus, the Prince of Peace, with all of the violence that has been done in the name of Christianity and other religions around the world? It seems like it doesn't work, like it doesn't fit. People then will often bring up things like the Crusades, or the Inquisition, and there's a lot of other things you could bring up. Hitler felt like he was leading a Christian nation, thus the swastika cross, which by the way, there's churches who still have that swastika in them because they were built before World War II. That was a Christian symbol before the Nazi regime took it over, and they used a cross because they believed, some believed, that they were doing the Christian thing. Which by the way, I have to tell you, one of the things that makes me most proud about being a Presbyterian is that in our book of confessions, we have one that was written by pastors who lived in Germany during World War II that basically spoke out and said, this is not the church. So I'm very proud of that in our heritage. There are white supremacists in this country who make Christian claims about what they are doing. Manifest destiny, which was this idea that God had given this continent to the European people in the name of God. And because of that, some believed that in the name of Jesus, they could um, slaughter natives, they could relocate them, they could take it all over, they could cut down all the trees that they wanted and, and take the land for themselves. Versus being stewards, of course, which is what God said they should do. This promised land, if you will. So we could go through examples, many examples. But you can see how from some, for some, especially if they are not believers in Jesus, the title Prince of Peace doesn't sound right. What we've been doing as we've been looking at these texts, and this is how I'd like to enter into this text today, is to talk about, first of all, what this would have meant possibly for a king in the time of Isaiah. Because when they first heard these titles, they were thinking this was going about King Hezekiah. Or maybe another king to come for Israel. So this idea of Prince of Peace as a title for a king is interesting. Because back then, and I would say probably still today, for most people, if you're going to be a ruler who brings about peace, you have to do it through violence and war. That's how most earthly rulers do it. That's how Israel understood their kings to do it. 
You have enough power and enough force to disarm your enemies and to bring about peace for your land, Prince of Peace. And now we can begin to understand how that title, if it goes for the Messiah, how someone have thought differently about the Messiah than perhaps we do, knowing who Jesus was. The um, Pax Romana, I'm sure you've heard of this before. This is the name given to the Roman peace that was built during the time of Jesus. So what happened was the Roman Empire conquered much of the Middle East and Europe by force, And they brought about a kind of peace that had never been there before. So many theologians look at this and say, this is why Jesus was born during this time. Because it was the the world was ready right then for him to be born so that the message could be carried throughout this empire. Because for the first time in world history, in that part of the world, you could travel on roads in relative safety. They were patrolled by Roman soldiers. They were, many of them were paved, and you can still see some of them now. They were paved with stones. So there's this idea you could travel between different parts of the empire, which when they were all different kingdoms, that was not a safe thing to do. So for the people of the time, what, ha- what the Romans achieved was an amazing kind of peace. But of course, it came with a cost. Some of those peaceful roads you would walk down and on the sides of those roads you would see people dying on crosses. Because that was Rome's way, the Rome's way of warning any of the conquered people not to step out of line. So Jesus and others who were crucified were crucified near major roads so everyone would walk by and see them suffering and dying. And later, for Christians of course, it brought about another kind of of suffering, Because Rome said, whenever we conquer someone, we will allow them to keep whatever religion they had. And they can add in our pantheon of gods and the Greek gods and all those. But you're not allowed to start a new religion. Especially a religion that would say something like, Jesus is Lord. And Caesar is Lord. So later Christians found that the peace wasn't as peaceful as some thought it was. I think about in our history, um, recent history, the Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States. I grew up during that time. They called it a war, but really it was a kind of peace because our nations weren't fighting as much as we were at a stalemate. So what happened was these two major superpowers um, had these little skirmishes and things, but for the most part, we didn't fight I mean, I remember watching the movie Red Dawn when I was a kid. Everyone thought maybe something like that would happen someday where the Soviets would invade the United States, right? But what happened was we both built up these massive nuclear arsenals. So a kind of peace was achieved, but the kind of peace that comes through human beings, which means in order to achieve that, we developed weapons that could kill every living thing on this planet many times over. So when we talk about human kings or human rulers as a prince of peace, it's not the same kind of peace that we see when we talk about Jesus. There's never been a lasting peace that's been created by human rulers. Even in my lifetime, as I'm sure it has been for many of you, I can count a number of wars that have been waged by our nation. And we are still at war in Afghanistan. So 
even as great, I, I believe, in the principles that this country has been founded on. Our democracy, our constitution, I think it's probably the best thing that's ever happened in terms of governments in this world. That's my opinion. But even with that, we haven't been able to achieve peace, have we? Every generation has their wars. And I'm not saying that these wars shouldn't have been fought. I'm just saying that human beings cannot achieve true peace. So let's talk about Jesus, if he takes this title, Prince of Peace, and how that might apply to the Messiah. I guess the first thing we could ask is, is Jesus a prince? Because we think of Jesus as king, oftentimes, we talk about those titles. But even then, we don't think of Jesus as king or as prince in the sense of an earthly ruler. Many expected the Messiah to be this kind of ruler. So in John 6.15, right after Jesus feeds all the crowds and and miraculously feeds them out in the wilderness, here's what John 6.15 says. When Jesus realized that they, the crowds, were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So there were people in Jesus' time who wanted him to be a ruler like the kings of old. So is Jesus a prince? Well, yes, he is royal. He is the son of God. And yet not the kind of prince that many expected him to be. What kind of peace does Jesus bring if he is the prince of peace? And this, I think, is so important for us to understand. When we talk about Jesus and we talk about peace... We're not talking about simply the absence of conflict or trouble. Some people think that's what peace is. You don't have any conflict, you don't have any trouble, and that's peace. That is not the kind of peace that Jesus talks about. In fact, I want to bring up probably the most difficult passage um, regarding this to illustrate this point. This comes from Matthew 10, 34 to 36. This is what Jesus says. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth... I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be the members of one's own household. Now you hear that, and this again, this is a difficult text, and you have to understand it in context to really grasp it. But what Jesus is pointing to is he's saying that If you follow me, if you live the way I'm teaching you to live, then there will be people, even people in your own family, who will hate you for it or disown you for it. So when we are in, um, when we've been in Senegal and done work with the, the Muslim people there, the Wolof people, they have these large extended families. And they even say to be Wolof, which is a tribal group, to be Wolof is to be Muslim. So those who have been baptized in the name of Jesus and are now what we call, what they refer to as Muslim background believers. So their background is in Islam, but they're now coming to Jesus. They've been baptized, they're following Christ. They often get completely cut off and often violently expelled from their community and their family, from all that they have, all the connections they have. So they would hear these words of Jesus and not be surprised at all. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And it's not a sword in the sense that he said, I'm coming to you know, bring bring up this violent insurrection. We see that that's not what he wanted. 
Even at his arrest, when one of the disciples takes a sword and lops off the ear of another guy, Jesus picks up the ear and says, oh, slow down. Puts it back on and heals the ear, right? Put the swords away. That's not what I'm about. But it is a sword in the sense that it can cause division. It can cause conflict when you believe and follow and live as Jesus teaches us to live. The word peace in this Isaiah passage is a word we've talked about before and many of you have heard before. The Hebrew word is shalom. Shalom. And it goes, the Arabic version of it is in the greeting that most people from, um, and have a Muslim background, give. And it's this idea of peace. And in Jewish cultures, they still offer this kind of a greeting. It's idea of peace. We translate it peace, but it doesn't translate well into English. Because the idea of shalom is much larger. You could say it carries the concept of wholeness. It carries the concept of everyone's relationships being right and righteous and good. God's peace, God's shalom, as we see it described in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this kind of peace transforms both individuals and societies from the inside out. So peace doesn't quite do it justice. When this text says Jesus is the prince of peace, it's saying he's a prince of shalom. It's not just there will be an end of conflict, but he's going to make things right. He's going to put them back the way they should be, our relationship with God. Society's relationship with each other. So how do we see this? Do we see this in Jesus' life? Where do we see this shalom, this kind of peace? Well, he healed the sick. He spoke out against those who abused power, especially the religious leaders. He cast out demons. He confronted evil. He fed those who were hungry. He forgave those who were sinful, not because they deserved it, He forgave them. He rose people from the dead. And of course he himself rises from the dead. And we could go on and on. So that's the kind of peace. When we say that Jesus is the prince of peace. This is what we're talking about. I want to talk about what this might mean for us. If we have Jesus. This Messiah in us and with us. As we talk about. When we talk about Advent. We talk about Jesus coming in the past. Coming Today, too, and coming in the future. He comes today in us, the Prince of Peace. Back in seminary, they talked to pastors a lot about something called non-anxious presence. Maybe you've heard this term before. It's the idea that in the midst of conflict, especially emotionally charged conflict, in the midst of times that are hard and stressful, that they desire pastors to stand in the midst of that as a non-anxious presence. As someone who is not raising the level of anxiety, but is bringing it down. And bringing people back to the to foundation of the gospel. Um, there's some great books out there, not by Christian authors, that don't talk about this particularly, but the same idea. It was written for business people. Um, one's called Crucial Conversations. And the other one's called Crucial Confrontations. And there's these great principles. I mean, I've read them and I go back to them once in a while. There's some really good tips to help you identify when your anxiety level is ratcheting up. And the, the kind of the basic premise is that people who really do this well, what they do is they're able in the midst of conflict to find that one piece of common ground. 
and begin to work from that direction instead of the places where you're in disagreement. And then working through those disagreements in a way that's not char- emotionally charged and mean. And there's, all, and there's many others we could talk about, others. But I have to tell you what I found, personally, is that I could not ever be any kind of non-anxious presence without the Prince of Peace in me. It's just not in my nature. I, I enter into conflict pretty readily by being non-anxious, calming, listening, patient. Every time I hear someone describe me as patient, I laugh. And sometimes I laugh out loud. Oftentimes I do. Because I don't see myself as a patient person. What people are seeing is something Jesus is doing in me. The Prince of Peace is doing, not what I'm doing. I met this week um, my future neighbor. He bought a piece of land next to me and he's going to build a house there. And I was out talking with him and we're getting to know each other. And eventually it came around to the point of the conversation I usually dread, which is when they ask me what I do. And the reason I dread it is not because I'm ashamed of being a pastor, because oftentimes people stop being real as soon as I say I'm a pastor. So I said, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. And he he smiled and he goes, that's so cool. He goes, you had this Zen-like aura about you. (laughs) And I I thought, okay, what he's seeing, what he's trying to grab words to describe, whatever it is, he's seeing Jesus in me. It's got to be Jesus he sees, whatever that is. I want to read to you this other text that we have in, uh, it's in your bulletins. And this is from Mark 4, verse 35. This is the one that is just powerful to me when I think about Jesus' power in bringing peace. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, let's go across to the other side, the other side of the lake, see. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them, They took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. There's not an anxious presence for you, right? Asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, another great question. Who is this, the wind and the sea, obey him? Christians have long understood and interpreted this passage to be about a lot more than just this miracle of Jesus calming the storm. Because if Jesus is Lord over creation and he has the power to speak to the wind and say, be still, and the sea be still, then he also has the power in us to speak to our anxiety and our worry and our stress and say, be still, be calm. You have little faith, which I find a comforting title for us disciples, by the way. Calming the storm. How do we cultivate this? If we want this, if we desire the same kind of peace that Jesus brings 
in these stories and other instances? How do we cultivate it in us? I've found, and many others have found, that time spent in God's Word is an excellent way to start your day or in the middle of your day to bring about some sense of perspective and peace. Time in prayer. Just bringing God into the conversations. I'm still not as good at this as I'd like to be, but if you can find a way in those most difficult moments when you feel your temperature rising because you're in a conversation where things are getting tense or whatever it is, or just moments of stress, if you can invite the Holy Spirit into those moments, not not trying to do anything else with yourself, but just saying, God, I need you right now. I want you to be part of this conversation. I found that the power of that can also connect us with the Prince of Peace. I want to end this morning by reading one more passage to you. This from, comes from Colossians 1, 15-19. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether on heaven or earth, by making peace through the blood of the cross. It's a beautiful text. Basically lays out this whole understanding. I mean, Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Everything was made through him. Everything was made for him. Everything today is held together because of him. Right? It just goes on to all this. He's before all things. He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn of creation. First from the dead. The whole thing. And the fullness of God dwells in him. And what does he do with all of that? This is what he does. He makes peace. Through the blood of the cross. Peace. Let's pray.